All right, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to John 13. If you don't have a Bible, we have some extras in the back there. Just put your hand up. Because some days you forget your Bible because of your kids or the busyness. One of these days with my kids, I may forget my Bible and I'll have to have my hand up. I hope not, but... John chapter 13. I know that some of you, as you've come to this church, maybe it's within the first month, or maybe it's the first Sunday you're here, or maybe it's took me about six months to figure this out. The worship team, they dress the same. That shows you how much I pay attention to clothes. I'm a guy, you know, hey, wow, okay. But they always have the same style, outfit, color, whatever it is, and it distinguishes them to say, oh, look at this, and then comes up the pastor who rarely dresses like them because I don't get the memo. And they realize they don't give me the memo because I probably don't have those colors. I'm just kind of a bland guy, and, and that's fine. But it distinguishes them to say, look, this is the worship team. I'm waiting for one of the days when they dress in a certain color, and then one says, I'm done with this, and just has the complete opposite, and wow, it would make a difference. As Christians, we have a distinguishing mark. That when we're we're with a group of Christians, we should look the same, act the same, be the same. And then when you take us out and put us in a group of others, we should look completely different, behave completely different, smell completely different. And it should be very distinguishing. John chapter 13, verse 34. Again, if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. John's got a couple extra Bibles. John chapter 13. This is so important. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. John 13, 34. Here's the new command. Love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And I love 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. It's by our love. It's not by our big buildings, not by our fancy clothes, not by all the kind of doctrine we can wrap up and just... It's by our love. Because out of true doctrine comes love because out of knowing God properly then we love because out of experiencing God's true love take a look at this the verse before as I have loved you that's how you love by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another the true mark of a Christian is their love for one another. And we have been looking at what it looks like to be a disciple. So turn just a page over, possibly in your Bible or the same page. John 15, starting with verse 4. Think of some of the words that we have covered. Starting with verse 4, John 15. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Church, stay in the word. Remain in him. Dwell in him. Abide in him. Don't just make a commitment. Yes, I trust Jesus. I'm a Christian. What is that? Stay in him. Dwell in him. Abide. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me 
and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and I'll be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Remain, abide, dwell. Bear fruit. That shows that you're a disciple. This is to my Father's glory. Give glory to him. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, obedience. Obedience is the very best way to show that we believe. If you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. If you want true joy, remain in him. Obey. Bear fruit. Give glory to him. That is joy. Verse 12. My command is this. There's so many things I think he should say in my mind. Don't do this, do this, don't, don't. I mean, that's the way I think. We hear the word command and we just go, oh, I'm in trouble. I have to do, have to perform. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. How did he love the church? Gave his life. And no wonder verse 13 is there. Greater love hath no man than this than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. We have been looking at this word love. And when I first began this, I thought, we'll just give one little sermon on love. And it's turned into months. Why? Because it is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. Over and over, love. Love is just grand. And we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 13. So turn there, and you'll see the slide we have up here of the words we've been looking at in this great love chapter. And again, this chapter, this list is not just a checklist where we just go, I am patient, check, okay? Pastor Cody's learned to be patient, and I probably needed to learn to be patient. So the Lord said, one way to help you, through, not just two daughters, three daughters, but four daughters, you'll learn to be patient. And as they get older, I'm learning to be patient. It's not just a checklist. Okay, I've got four daughters. I can be patient. Love personified in these words. This is it right here. It's not just something we read at a wedding and go, oh, love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, isn't that rude, keeps no records of wrong. No. This list ultimately is an example of God himself, amen? He is patient. Remember, we spent a couple times just on those first two words. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his patience. He wants all to come to repentance. 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 4. And hooray to some of you, we're finishing this finally today. But let me say this, and I need to say this boldly. We will never be finished with this list, amen? We will never be finished with looking at love and praying that God would use us to be agents of love in this world. Even though we're done with this little series on love, we are never done with love. Right? Just say yes and go, okay, I don't know what you're saying, but okay. <laughs> Verse 4, chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. It always protects. Always trusts. 
always hopes and always perseveres. Verse 8, love never fails. Now, if you take the list that we've been working through, we see that there, what love is and what love is not, the positive and negative, the, the poison of a heart that is not with God, the poison of a heart that lives out things that is not love, and then the antidote to that. What destroys a relationship? Look at that list. Some of you have been in relationships that, that have been destroyed, and you look at this and go, that's why, that's why, that's why. Love is patient. It does not give up. Remember that. It doesn't give up. Love is kind. Kindness is the payback. When someone is mean and rude and and something's wrong, kindness. Love, on the positive side, isn't envious and Mine, mine, I want more. It's generous. It's happy for the blessings of others. Love is modest. It considers others better than ourselves. It is humble. Humble in your estimation of self. It's humble. It is respectful. It's polite. And let me say this to maybe some of you guys, and just a guy I think this way. And if you watched MASH a lot, if you watched, um, I'm trying to think, if you watched Bart Simpson a lot, and you just, you know, you, there's something unique about a lot of TV series that are out there. I could think of some others. Write this down. Sarcasm never helps. Because I'm, I'm a guy who can be very sarcastic and joking. And I, I learned this when I watched MASH as a little kid. My parents would watch it. They were so sarcastic and just poking at each other, kind of mocking each other. Just very sarcastic. And it was, it was funny. But sarcasm never helps. That's something my friend and I, Dean, when we were in college, we would joke. We were kind of crude with each other. We were rude. We weren't polite. We weren't respectful. We were kind of sarcastic. And after about six months, his wife said, enough, boys. We're like, what? And then we said, sarcasm never helps. Because I can be prone. How many of you, well, you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe be honest. I can be prone to sarcasm, right? There's a few of you. Then write this down. Sarcasm never helps. It can destroy relationships. Love is respectful. It's polite. Sarcasm never helps. Love is also, let the list here, is self-sacrifice. It gives. It's occupied with the good of others. It's occupied with their good, their benefit, their need. Love is calm. It's slow to anger. Not a powder keg. We know what powder kegs are like. We've seen, we live with some, we've worked with some of them. We know what that's like. Love is calm, slow to anger, long-suffering. Remember back in Exodus 34, when we were looking at the list of what God is, he said, you want me to show myself to you? Well, here I am. I'm the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. Remember when I was working at the Word? He's long nose. What does that mean? He's slow to anger. He, he doesn't build up and rage a powder keg. He's slow to anger. Praise God, amen? Because if the Lord marked our sins... Who would stand? None of us. Slow to anger. And last week we spent a whole day just looking at love forgives. Love forgives. It keeps no records of wrong. We could spend months on forgiveness. But instead of preaching a sermon about it, we are called to live that sermon. Amen? We are called to live forgiveness. If you take a look at the list, we have kind of got it red and black there, and just kind of so you can see what Paul wrote and what the opposite is. When you look at what love is not, you wonder why does he have a bunch of negatives? Why does he just say all the positives? 
I believe it's important at times, and I think Paul does this here, to state what is not. For instance, one of the most important letters I ever wrote in my life to someone. It began with, this letter is not about this, just to make sure they didn't get the wrong understanding. It's not about this, and it's not about this. It's important to say what is not. But let's look at now the, the next couple words here. Verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And if you see on this list, I've got that twice, so you can see it does not delight in evil. What's the opposite? It rejoices in the truth. And I've got, and got that double, so you can see that Paul, in this list, shows you what the opposite is. When love and truth are absent, one delights in evil. This one was hard for me because I realized, well, how are these opposites? In my mind, it should go, well, it doesn't rejoice in evil versus good. Or truth versus fiction, falsehood. But then I realized this is the opposite. Because truth is in its essence, goodness. In fact, this word here does not delight in evil. In the Greek there, it's this word righteousness negated. It doesn't rejoice in that which is evil, unrighteous. That which is wrong. That which is morally against how one would live out the gospel. Most of the times we see this word connected with the truth of the cross, righteousness. But here it's a lifestyle after one has been a Christian, tasted of the goodness of God. It doesn't delight in evil. And here's how it is with people. Love does not rejoice in someone doing something wrong, injustice, evil. When they are involved in something that is wrong or take a look at the list. You don't rejoice in the things that these are all about. You don't go, oh, you go, you have every right to just go get them and be rude and mean. Doesn't rejoice in that. Doesn't rejoice in injustice. It doesn't keep record of wrong, which would lead to wrongdoing, acting wrong, doing evil things. Love does not long to point out saying, Look at what that is. Oh, you're fine. Keep doing it. So let me say this to those of you who are married. You know your spouse very well. Sometimes you wish you knew them a little bit more. That's why there's tension and it's just hard. You do not rejoice when they do things wrong. You don't encourage them to continue in sin. You don't delight in evil. You don't. Instead, you rejoice in which is right, that which is true. I wrote this down. It does no good if you can be pleasant but not stand for or reject the truth. Because some of you can say, well, I can be patient and kind, but you don't stand for or reject that which is wrong. You don't stand for the truth or say, enough, you have crossed the line, no more. Because if you say, oh, I'm just patient and kind, and you say nothing against evil, ultimately you begin to condone that wrong and that evil. So you cannot just be pleasant and then not stand for or reject truth. Or... Sometimes when someone's doing something wrong or someone's in error, you need to speak truth. Listen to this. This is a tough one. I mean, you can give <coughs> all the great statements, read all the great verses, and speak the truth. But when it's not transmitted or given in a spirit of love, a spirit of compassion, spirit of what love is, all the truth in the world is likely to fall on deaf ears. It's got to be given in love. Or, as I've learned when I was in school, truth is most beautiful 
when clothed in humility. Write that down. Truth is most beautiful when clothed with humility. Love. Ephesians chapter 4.15 Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And rejoice in that truth. Truth reveals the evil and the crudeness of something. And you rejoice when things turn around. And when truth happens, love rejoices. When someone comes to repentance, when someone steps away from evil, truth is there. And love rejoices in that. 1 Peter 3.9. Let's look at this. 1 Peter 3.9. First Peter three nine. First Peter three nine says this. Well, let's start with verse eight. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate. Be humble. Here it is. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. That, that That summarizes a lot of our list here. The payback is kindness. You don't harbor up all these things and keep a record of wrong. When evil is there, you don't pay back evil with evil. Pay back with blessing. Because to this you were called. So in a relationship, when someone is in the wrong, someone is doing wrong things, when there is moral issues at hand, you stand for the truth. And when repentance comes, you rejoice and you give blessings. So we've been working on with all of these questions, and here's the question I have for you. And sorry, I don't have it typed up, so you'll have to write this one down. We'll give the full list next Sunday of all that we've been going through. The question to ask of application is this here. Do I let truth flourish in a relationship? Do I let truth flourish in open honesty? Because in a relationship, you have to have that. Do I let truth flourish in open honesty... Or am I happy when sin has taken control? Or am I happy when sin has taken control? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians and the last verse that we're looking at here. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7. This is some great stuff. And I, I spent some time just this week just looking at this verse. It is just, it is grand. There's, there's four words that, that are used here. And it's interesting that the first word and the last word here are very much the same. And the two middle ones are the same. And it's unique that the two middle words are verbs, and then the two middle words show up in the last verse, verse 13, with the word love. Now by faith, hope, and love, these three. The grace of these is what? Love. And there's just such poetry, and it's just very creative in how this is laid out. And this, here it is, this right here, verse 7, gets right to the heart on how you and I are to live in harmony with one another. This is all about attitude. This is all about your heart. So let's look at this. It always protects. In fact, in the Greek here, it just says always and then the word. Always and then the word. It's got four. Always this, always that, always it goes on. Always protects. So here it is. If you want to be a friend, 
If you want to be a true lover of your spouse, lover of your neighbor, lover of your brother and sister, here we go. Love always protects. It safeguards. It takes care of. And again, let me just say this on the side. Some of you have been in damaging relationships, broken marriages. You understand that, yeah, that was not there. But in God, we see that this is truly a characteristic that he has. Amen? It always safeguards. It always takes care of. It bears patiently with their annoyances and your annoyances. Because you know what? I can annoy you and you can annoy me. But it protects. It bears patiently with this. Take a look at, I believe it's 9 verse 12. Just turn a couple, 1 Corinthians 9, 12. And here's the same word. If others have this right of support from you, this word support here is the same word. It protects, it supports, it's there. Love, it just doesn't, look at, look at me, it doesn't just protect. It always protects. It always is there. And when it's not there, it abandons. And we know what it's like to be abandoned. We know what it's like to be forsaken. We know what it's like to be deserted, empty. And we live in a world that encourages this. And this is what disgusts me. We live in a world where the marriage that you have, if you don't like it, you have every right to get out. The world encourages that. The world encourages saying, if you find someone better, well, go for the better. The world encourages you saying, you know what? The most important one to take care of is yourself. And if you hurt others along the way, that's what it takes. The world encourages us to abandon. And honestly, we live in a society, we live in a culture that is so quick to change. 50, 70 years ago, where you lived is where you live. You go to maybe school and you come back and that's where you live. Now we live in such a transient society where every two years people come and go. That's just the way society is. That's not good or bad, but I'm just saying we are so accustomed to where we live, we just come and go, we go. We, we have all these things where we just, you work at a job for a short time, oh, okay, I'm just going to go something else. We just live in a society that encourages, oh, abandon what you said yes to, and it's okay. But it always takes care of, it always safeguards and protects. Love never abandons. So take a look at the list now that I have of some of these questions. Or they're not even questions. I, I, instead of doing questions, I, I realized we need to do I will. So take a look at the slide here. And this is kind of how I summarize this. This is what love would say. And before I say this, imagine being married to someone who would say this about you. You would put both hands up and say, that's the kind of person, right? That's the kind of person I want to be married to. So listen. I encourage you, if you look at this list, be this person for your spouse. Not just because you want a better marriage, not just because you want to stop fighting, not just because you want healing, but because of the cross and God's love for you. We are called to live this way, right? Yes. And he, this is why I'm excited about this verse. This lives out the essence of the concept of what Jesus has taught and lived and what Paul is speaking about. The only way we can love is by his love first. The only way you can live this out is not just make a checklist and say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. No, you have to first taste of great love. And then out of that, you experience this and because of your love for God first, you will love your spouse, your brother and sister, your family in these ways. And these are powerful things. 
I will, love always protects, I will put up and support you loyally. I'll be true. I won't give up. Loyally, no matter what the cost. It always protects. And that's what this is saying. I will put up with you and support you. I don't like doing that with some of my friends. (laughs) Because they are rude. They are mean. They are impatient. And then I realized, oh, I'm rude. I'm mean. So ultimately it comes down to this, even this line right here. We need to, on our face and knees, and say, Lord, help me by your spirit, by your strength, live this out that I will put up with and support you loyally no matter what the cost. Let me just say this as a side note. As I wrote these out, I humbly and am eternally grateful that these are basic things my wife would say, well, of course. Because have you seen how I live? Some of you pray for my wife more than me. Good. She lives this out in pure beauty. Why? Because she is captivated by the beauty of Christ. If she was just captivated by me, she'd give up with me very quickly. But if you want your spouse to be that way, you. Remember what we said before. Everyone thinks about changing the world. No one thinks about changing themselves. Everyone's hacking on the branches of evil to everyone, cutting at the root. If you want this to be a part of your marriage, then on your hands and knees say, Lord, let me have the attitude of always protects. I will put up with and support you loyally no matter what the cost. And how many tears and how many prayerful nights I have to put up with you. That's love. Isn't that great? The next word. It always protects. It always trusts. And here this word trust is believes, has faith in. And I wrote this down. It's not just being gullible. Oh, I trust you. And, and here's a problem with, with one of the older translations. It said, it believes all things, trusts all things, hopes. And, and that wasn't the best translation because, in fact, a lot of the um, Kierkegaard and a lot of the philosophers at the time just would rip at that and say, then if that's true Christianity, true Christianity believes all things? No. And they weren't understanding the passage right. It's not just that you're gullible, oh, I trust everything that happens. It's not this gullible faith. It always trusts. It does not lose faith. faith. It's not suspicious. Because I have friends, sometimes when they first meet me, they're going, oh, hey, there's, oh, they're kind of suspicious and they probe me. Not literally, but they're, they're checking out different ways and trying to see, is this guy real or not? True love is not suspicious, but believes in the person. I need to qualify this. But believes in the person. (laughs) It is not the typical, I believe in you, you can do it. That just makes me nauseous. I am amazed. My kids watch little cartoon videos with all little characters and just, there's so many modern videos and the basic premise is this. They've got an underdog or something and they gotta like get a medallion or a super sword or they gotta get some kind of thing to to conquer the world and they get there and they open it up and it's a little note saying, just believe in yourself. Oh, that's how you win the world. Just believe in yourself and everything's okay. And Rob, that makes me nauseous. That's disgusting. No. It's not just, oh, I believe in you. You can do it. Go get it, Junior. No. Love always trusts and believes. It's not, and the opposite of that would be cynical. I have two friends. Don't worry, you're not in the crowd. I have two friends back in the Midwest that are so cynical. And every time I hang with them, it's so draining. They are so cynical, which leads to sarcasm, which leads to just all this bitterness and resent, and just, oh. Love is not cynical, suspicious. 
but it always trusts. And look at this line here. This is very important. And you'll see here, I qualify this. I just don't believe in you. Oh, I believe in you. I can say that statement, but I need to qualify that. And here we go. I will, and this is something we need to pray. I will never lose, here it is, faith that God and his divine power will work in you. That's my belief in you. I believe in you. When I say that doesn't mean I believe in you, go get it, Junior. You can do it. Because that person may fail or whatever. And you might just then have to smack them and just get all mad and cynical and angry and say, you should have had more skills and ability. No, see, that's foolish. But this is true love that always trusts, always believes, and always has this faith in someone. Here it is. I never lose faith, not in you, because if you have all your faith in your spouse, you're going to cry a lot, and your marriage will not last. But this is the hope and the faith that we have in some, look, this is so good. I will never lose faith that God and his divine power will work within you. That's the kind of friend you, how many want a friend that would pray that for you every day? Yes! That is love right here. Love always protects. It always trusts that God has you and you will grow to be more like him. And this is my prayer for you individually as a church. Sounds funny that I say individually as a church. What? But as you come to our church and I pray for you individually, weekly, I don't pray like, maybe they win the lottery, maybe, you know, and I don't pray that, hey, maybe they get a bunch of cool things so we can come over and play video games. I don't play video games, but my prayer is this, that you would know God more and that his divine power would continue to work in you so that you would become more and more like him. That's the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. My prayer is for 2 Corinthians 3.18 that you would be more and more be transformed. That can only be done by His power. The next word, verse 7, it always protects. It always trusts. Always hope. And hope and trust here are very similar in many ways. They're, they're, they're very different, but they're similar here. It always hopes. And again, it hopes for the best in someone even when they're a repeat offender. I've got some friends, and I myself have been a repeat offender, doing the same thing against someone, knocking them down, being sarcastic with my tone, making doing this and making myself, my kingdom better. But love always hopes for the best in them. It's very optimistic. It doesn't give up. It doesn't give up. Because we are sinners. We, the world has this notion that man is basically good. You're basically good, so I'm going to put my hope in you, and then when you fail me, oh, but you're basically good. <laughs> you read this and you realize we are bad. Depravity is the big word. We are not basically good. We're basically bad. Not just big, we are we sin. We have this heart that once was against God. We once were in darkness, but now we are in the light. It's optimistic. Not in our ability when we're bad. But it loves them for the best. And here we think of hope, and then the opposite is gives up. Like I said, we do. I mean, this, this culture, this verse here, verse 7, our society, the commercials you see, the movies you see, uh, it's, it's in the government, it's, it's, it's in our education system, it's, it's in even when you walk into the store to buy food, it's all about ripping apart this stuff here. Give up. You can give up in a relationship. It's okay because you deserve someone better. And all, the, all these negatives are all very selfish. Let me just say this as a side note. There are times when you, with someone who's struggling, someone who's got an issue, there are times that you need to say, 
I've gone as far as I can go. We need more help. Let me just throw this out. It doesn't mean I'm always hoping for the best of you, and I'm the one that can help you, and if we can't do it, I'm just going to keep going. There are some times when someone's so deep in danger that you need to say, you know what, I've gone as far as I can go. We need more help. For instance, yesterday, I went on a hiking trip with Steve and his son, and we were hiking, and we were getting up into the snow up in the mountains. It was great, and we'd had a great time. We came down. It took a little bit longer than it did and and just we get down to the car and we get there the ranger's like oh, it's time to close up and by the way do you know about that extra car down there have you seen anybody and we're like oh we did see someone we gave the description and we said hey okay this is what's going on and on the way down we're driving and we said well let's just check with the ranger and he was getting out to ask us more questions he says yeah the, he could be up there the snow was kind of coming down was, i loved it i was like let the blizzard come and but then we're like well I said, I'd be willing to, and I kind of looked at Steve and Adam and said, hey, and I know that we were very tired, and Adam's like, yeah, let's, we're willing to just, we'll hike up the trail and just see if we find anyone. Maybe someone's hurt up there. So we're hiking up the trail, and Steve was in a nice warm car. We were still playing around. We're like, yeah, we should have brought our gear. We could, you got a deck of cards, and we're laughing and joking, but we're like, we got to find this person. We'd stop every 10 minutes, yell, blow my whistle, nothing, okay? We keep going up, and we got close to the part where we said we get to this point and look around and we come back. And we get there, I said, let's turn off our lights and see if we see anyone. It's dark out. We turn off our lights and sure enough, far away up on this little ridge is a little light blinking and kind of aiming at us and flashing. We're like, whoa! So we get ours. We're trying to do the things. I'm like, oh, I, I know Morse code. I'm trying to blank them. Most people don't. I'm kind of nerdy. I'll just, you know, just shine my light. And we're yelling and we can hear faint voice. It was so far away, we couldn't tell if there's two lights or one, but we knew it wasn't an airplane or a star that landed there. You know, it was just like, and we looked at each other, we were like, we got to at least communicate with this. Let's, you know, both Adam and I were like, we got to, let's do it. We just kind of go, we're going to go rescue this person. So we get, keep going and going, and we realized we couldn't get close enough to this ridge on the trail to yell or just make communication. And both Adam and I were looked, we're like, we could do this all night. And then we thought of Steve thought of his dad and we even joked we said if we're gonna get down there he's gonna have a pizza box with one pizza left in going you guys got arm wrestle over it and we're like oh and we realized and i kept saying we should have brought my gear my heart we could have you know scaled the face of that and we realized you know what we've done as much as we can there's the sheriff department our taxes pay for people to come and rescue people we've done as much as we can right now We'll go down and tell the park ranger what we've saw, the description, I drew a map, where we were, the ridge, everything. And if they do need help, we will do our best. We're not giving up, but we know that there's more capable people than us two tired, skinny guys that just want to get home. It always hopes, never gives up. As a side note, let me say this. If you or your spouse, or a family member, co-worker, neighbor, they are in a serious, dark area, be there for them. Be there and say, I will never lose faith that God and His divine power will work in you. Or, as this line says, I will hope for the best from you because God is at work in you. There may be a time where you need to say, this is beyond more than I can do. I do that with, as a pastor. Someone may come to me with a serious issue, and I just go, I will pray. I will give the best of my ability to, to counsel you, but this is beyond my training. Let's go get a counselor. Let's talk with someone else, because I am clueless. I can't do this. That's not giving up. It's getting more help. Hope doesn't give up. And look at this line again. I will hope for the best from you. And I chose these words, not just in you, but from you. I will hope for the best from you. Why? Because you can do it, Junior. Go hit that baseball. No. Why? Because God's work is in you. And if the creator of this universe is working and moving in you, 
That's far greater than anything I can say. So I will hope for the best from you because God is at work in you. Please, get on your knees, get on your face and say, Lord, let me be someone who can pray that and believe that to my best friend, to my spouse, to my brother and sister in this church. Now the last one. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It waits in a courageous way. In fact, this is a military term. This word here is, imagine a group of soldiers pinned down. If you've seen Black Hawk Down, they're pinned down in a room, and and the enemy is all around them, and they have to hold on the fort. They have to support it. They have to just hold on their little group of guys. Someone's maybe wounded, and they persevere. They await. They, in the assault of the enemy is coming, and they're going to hold their ground. That's what love does. It holds their ground, and it's got a group of guys with them, and you know what? I have your back. Nothing's going to move us right now. It patiently does not give up. I love how the first word and the last word here line up. Love is patient. It perseveres. It doesn't give up. It endures every circumstance. The opposite of that would be it fails. It buckles. I've been in relationships where we're friends, we're buddies, whatever. Tension comes, bam. There's no integrity to support this relationship and it's crippled and crumbles. But love perseveres. Here it is. Look at this last line. Always. Always think of the word always in this. I will endure and stand my ground because I have your back. That's what love does. And it's hard because we are greedy people, sinful people, people that want to do our own things and a true friend, a true lover, not just talking about romantic here, but someone who loves you says, I'm going to stand my ground with you and I have your back. And the greatest way to show this is prayer. The greatest way to show this is I'm going to pray with you. I'm not just going to pray for you and you just oh, I'll pray for you. <laughs> and you go home and you just go watch the Seahawks. I'm going to pray for you right now, right here. So you see that I have your back. I'm going to stand up with you and support you and be with you. I'm not going to support the sin that's going on. I am drawing a line here. Forgiveness doesn't just take all the abuse. It says, no, I won't. But I will stand and endure with you. And many times, as the artist Charlie Peacock says, now is the time for tears. Don't speak. Save your words. Now is the time for tears. And maybe that means you need to sit with that person and just cry with them. Don't give your antidote. Don't give, well, well, that happened to me. This is what I did. Just zip it and endure with them. Weep with them. Wait with them. And lean on the everlasting God who has all power, all might, who knows all things and is sovereign in control of all things and trust Him. Whatever you do, I will still love you and I won't give up on you. That's love. So let me end with this. I I keep saying this and you're like, okay, I hear it, but get this in you. The only way we can truly love is know God. Taste of His love. See the ultimate beauty of the cross. That's why I'm a freak about the cross. Because I just love the beauty that He gave His life for me. And in this, I ask, this list here, these four statements... Get on your face. Get on your knees and say, my spouse who drives me nuts once in a while or my spouse who loves me more or whatever's going on, 
or my children or someone in this room or someone in a different church that you have animosity towards and still have yet not forgiven, get on your hands and knees and say, I will put up with and support you loyally no matter what the cost. Because Christ died for me. How could I not? He did the same to me. I will never lose faith that God and his divine power will work in you because he works in me. I will hope for the best from you because God is at work in you and he's in work in me. I will endure with and stand my ground because I have your back. The end. Not the end. This is a sermon. Now we need to live out the sermon. And literally, let me just say this, church. We have, since I've been here, almost two years, we talked about what we believe as Christians. You remember that? This I Believe series. We talked about all the different aspects of the beauty of Christ, the cross and just all that. Then we went through the gospel according to Exodus. And now this. If you look online, the values of our church that we would know, grow deep, and show. No grow show. Kind of quaint and nerdy maybe. And that's just, this is it. This is the, the, the teaching is done. Know God. Grow deep. We've grown deep, right? Show it. Teaching is done. Sermon is done. I'm not leaving, don't worry. But in a sense, the two years have been no, grow, show. Will you do this? Because here it is. If you believe this, if you know it and taste of it, this is the most powerful thing in the world, period. This would change nations. Amen? If Christians would truly live this out. This would do it right here. So the ball is put into your court. What will you do? I can't. Good. Right answer. By the power of the cross and the love of Jesus, it's the only we can do. Sermon is preached. Now sermon must be lived. Go forth. Live a life worthy of the gospel you have received. Love. Don't give up. Continue. Let's pray.